When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Okay, welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast, everybody, with me, Ben James, and as always, my co-host, Jacob Stain. Morning, Jacob. Good morning, Ben. So today, we're talking ankylosing spondylitis. We had a question from one of our listeners regarding the potential of, of them suffering from ankylosing spondylitis. We've talked a lot about stiffness, particularly in the morning, uh, when you wake and when those discs are hyper hydrated and that causes stretch and causes some stiffness and why you should be careful during that first 30 minutes of the day but stiffness uh, particularly in the low back is often a symptom of ankylosing spondylitis so a listener got in touch and asked that question could I be suffering from ankylosing spondylitis so that is the topic for discussion in today's show but as always before we start head on over to the website www.smartstrong.co.uk take advantage of our free ebook start taking back control of your back health within the next seven days some great video content and links there to help you on your journey to recovery so ankylosing spondylitis so jacob it's a, a progressive inflammatory arthritis you know, mainly affects the spine affects other joints tendons ligaments but it's it's a condition which takes some time to diagnose i read up uh, when i was looking at a bit of research that it takes on average 8.5 years to actually get it well, that's a that's a long time exactly it is a long time have you have you yourself seen any patients that have been Kind of referred on for further imaging testing and things in in your time in practice one actually okay and that's a long long time ago it's it's roughly 10 years ago and uh i remember it quite well but only one person okay no interesting i've never seen anyone specifically but you know that's not to say that potentially someone hasn't come through the the clinic door you know and and had these kind of very early stage symptoms and it's because of this length of time to diagnosis, it's um, it's just not it's not been the initial working diagnosis, should we say, of that condition. And I guess why is that? I guess is the is the question, and that is largely a result of the way that the condition works. And yeah, yeah, you. I think we can assume, as we've discussed earlier, that if it takes on average eight and a half years before somebody's diagnosed with AS, that it would probably be quite progressive at that point well this is a good yeah a great point and i think this is a, certainly a focus for us to discuss during the show in terms of the kind of conservative management of this condition and what we can be doing proactively if even there is a suspicion of this condition given that it can take so long to actually have a definitive diagnosis and like you say by that point we're likely to have got some significant progressive uh, changes in the structure as a result of this condition in the back and the reason for that is the the way that this condition works is as we say is a is a chronic inflammatory condition and it very much targets uh, the sites where ligaments or tendons attach to bone and this is known as enthesis where there's inflammation in those ligaments and tendons now 
the inflammation is then followed by some wearing of the bone at the site of attachment. And that's known as enthesopathy. And as that inflammation then reduces, a healing process takes place and new bone develops. So therefore, as you can imagine, if you're replacing some of those ligaments, tendons by bone or bones within those ligaments, tendons, then you're going to start to get stiffness and that's going to start to affect movement and can start to cause some discomfort. So the repetition of this inflammatory process leads to further bone formation. The individual bones that make up your backbone can start to fuse together. And this is why as part of the diagnosis of this condition, often you'll look for radiographic changes. So you'll take an x-ray and you'll start to see some of these changes as a result of that bone being laid down. And one of the classic uh, kind of radiographic images is that kind of bamboo spine where you'll see those ligaments, tendons starting to calcify. You'll see on x-ray that they're more bone-like. And that, as you can imagine, will lead to stiffness, reduced motion, and because of the chronic inflammatory process behind this, discomfort and, and pain. So it's not always the case, though, that um, you will see these re radiographic changes. So there's a radiographic um, AS where, where the changes to sacroiliac joints and the spine can be seen on x-ray, but non-radiographic uh, is where you'll, you won't see those x-ray changes, but inflammation is visible on MRI. So it's a it's an interesting condition. Uh, and around seven in 10 people will have non-radiographic uh, axial spondy spondyloarthritis. And around three in 10 will have inflammation visible on MRI. And as we say, the average time to diagnosis seems to be about 8.5 years. And the average age of onset, depending on where you read and what literature you read, is around 24 years of age. So it is a condition that you're more likely to experience those symptoms late teens, early 20s. So if you are listening and you're starting to feel stiffness and discomfort and you're later on, 30s, 40s, then much less likely is that going to be AS. But as we say, because of the progressive nature of this condition, you start with some maybe minor symptoms of, of stiffness and, and pain. But what we find is rest doesn't tend to help with AS, exercise often helps to reduce discomfort. So if you're somebody that finds that the, the pain and the discomfort reduces with exercise, then that can be a sign that leads us down this route of, of diagnosis. But it is very much a, a, a diagnosis of um, re elimination more than anything else. And I think one of the key things from a stiffness point of view is you're not just going to experience that stiffness first thing in the morning. For a lot of back pain sufferers, we talk about that first 30 minutes of the day, as I said in the introduction. But with AS, that stiffness, it may alleviate a little bit having got up because you're moving around. So it's back to that kind of exercise. But you will notice and experience that stiffness generally more regularly throughout the day, I think is a key differentiator. But so what is the, what is the management of you know, what, what we don't want to do is when we consider a patient that's going through this process, let's say, and does um, is suffering from AS but hasn't had that diagnosis, if it's going to take 8.5 years for an actual definitive diagnosis, 
that's a significant time frame where this calcification and this process of um, ligaments mm. becoming more bone-like is is going to be happening. So we want to be conservatively looking at this and trying to reduce those symptoms and try and keep and restore that that motion as much as possible. So what are the things that we consider? Because ultimately, once you once you have a diagnosis, you're likely to see a rheumatologist. They specialize in conditions of this type. And you're likely to be given some form of medication. Now, sometimes that's going to be for pain management. Sometimes that's going to be disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, DMARDs, different medications that will help to manage that condition. Outside the scope of, of this podcast, we're not focused on the, the medications specifically, but you're going to be a fair way down the track before you get some of these medications. And they certainly won't reverse the condition. They certainly won't prevent potential progression. So it is very much a management of the condition at that point. So really, we want to be looking at the things that we can do to help manage that condition conservatively in the early stages and exercise if it's going to help reduce those symptoms which it does is an obvious place an obvious place jacob to start and we wouldn't advise doing anything really that much different to what we do already in terms of lower back pain management and developing the core and that focused functional approach and I would like to mention, and we didn't mention that, it's more often, it occurs more often in men than women. Good point, yeah, sure. A fair, a fair, a fair bit more, even though my patient 10 years ago was, was a lady, young lady. But, and then I also would like to add the medications are there to generally slow down the disease process. So it doesn't generally halt it or reverse it like you mentioned but it actually just slows down the progression and yeah i think you know very interesting this this patient i had was quite uh in, it was interesting to have her as a patient because her story story was quite remarkable she was diagnosed after a few years of having it obviously it took some time i remember that and then she changed her life she went into uh you know, training regularly, doing weight training, change her diet, um, change her diet completely, uh, as I remember. I remember she wrote me a, a report. I asked her to write me a whole report, a little bit of a timeline of what she went through uh, because it was a very interesting case for me. And she literally, with the checkups after that, I, think, I don't know how often she went back to have a look at the progression of the disease, but it completely stopped. So she, she halted the, the disease process, and that was significant. It was very interesting for me at that point. And as you know, 10 years ago, it, it, was, it was the belief that we many of the diseases and problems that we know these days, that we can turn back or halt the disease process, were believed not to be possible. Yeah, there's a lot more now, a lot more focus on the kind of chronic inflammatory conditions not just as but others that that are influenced by diet and a more conservative non-traditional should we say medical um approach or 
not medical approach at all when we're looking at specifically nutrition. So I think that's an interesting point that we we want to discuss here because definitely there's some anecdotal evidence and stories online of others that have done exactly that. So like you said, this condition, you know, otherwise is is progressive, but we're just trying to to halt the uh, disease process with a medical approach. So we're not preventing it. We're not stopping it. We're not reversing it. It's just how can we control the symptoms? How can we control the disease process to avoid it being as rapidly progressive as it could be? And that's not to say it will be because in some patients, they, they don't experience that um, progressive uh, change or certainly it, it's only mild, whereas others, uh, it, is, it is more rapid. So again, it's not absolute how this disease process is going to uh, progress in different individuals. So and that's interesting about the, the story of, of your patient, uh, Jacob, with regards to the changes, because I think there's, that's another point here. With, as with any condition, there's a psychological element. Is there a, a, a positive, optimistic attitude to trying to look at the most beneficial ways that you can help yourself with something like this? Or is there a negative kind of, this is something I've got now, I've just got to accept it and you know, I'll do what I'm told in terms of medication, but I won't really look at any other, any other ways that I could potentially manage this myself. And I, that's, as with any condition, any illness, that psychological um, component is always there and is always something to consider both as a clinician, but certainly mm. as an individual. So it's, a, it's an interesting story of... Um, of success, I guess, from somebody that presumably with your patient had the definitive diagnosis um, of, of AS. They went down that route and were given that definitive diagnosis, we can assume. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very good point. You, you always stand in front of those two paths. You know, you, you can choose whether you just obey and follow the, the typical advice and, and the, the medical regime prescribed or whether you just look a little bit further i'm not saying you shouldn't take the medication but uh we know now that there are so many other possibilities to to for example bring down the infl inflammatory process to make sure that the body regulates the inflammatory process better and these 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 are uh, you know these are it's a very big factor in any inflammatory arthropathy or inflammatory disease that, that anybody can have so um even if you look if you look outside the scope of ankylosing spondylitis any uh inflammatory process these days even if you look at diabetes how much has been achieved uh, in the understanding of what we can do with uh with diet it's just phenomenal in the last 10 years yeah no it's a, it, it is a certainly a fascinating subject in terms of that proactive I, I guess there's an element of of a looking at things differently when the when that disease process is already there and looking at the management of that differently with things like diet and lifestyle advice and things but there's also for me now that real focus and drive to help educate people and support people and hopefully inspire people to prevent these things because we just know now increasingly how successfully we can be at preventing conditions in the first place if we just change a few things and we're not we're not always having to change things drastically 
but certainly taking a bit more of a proactive approach just makes sense because the incidence of things like type 2 diabetes and obesity are just so significantly high now and the impact of that not just um, from the quality of life of individuals but economically is is just staggering so i think it's definitely needs to be more of a focus and you know back to the as subject you know why shouldn't we be looking at those opportunities particularly again back to to drive home the point this kind of average time for diagnosis is is years we're talking nearly a decade 8.5 years based on some of the research is is the average so we don't want to just simply wait if we can look at opportunities to to conservatively manage this condition and exercise you know as we said earlier is is one of those um one of those treatment options and we know that exercise helps to reduce those feelings of discomfort this is where there's a, a an element of um i guess not complexity but based on the information that we've often shared before one of the recommendations from an as point of view is is restoring mobility or flexibility or retaining that flexibility at least in the low back and that's an area for us jacob that we would always say well we don't really want to be looking at flexibility in the low back because we want to retain that neutral spine we don't want to be bending through the back so there's a little bit of a disconnect here because we don't want to be doing those things that lead to other spinal problems with someone with as but at the same time there's got to be an element of consideration of trying to retain that flexibility what are your thoughts absolutely my thought is that you know when we have an unstable lower back spine we want to stabilize it through creating stiffness and stability using exercises and that's the general low back patient that we will see but i think when we go further down the line and losing mobility of stiffening uh, tendons and ligaments and joint capsules uh, at the lower back spine and you know then we're moving towards the other end of the spectrum and so we we start really losing mobility and that's something we want to try and avoid so in this case i think we have to be smart about how we try to maintain mobility in the low back you know i, I don't think we need to use techniques that's that's going to cause a problem like you say but they are really wonderful light mobilization techniques that we can do on a daily basis and maybe more than once a day to preserve that mobility and um and and, and together with that i think if you if you do a sort of weight training you have a weight training program uh, generally doing uh, free uh, free body or body weight weight training programs there there's still movement coming through the low back not extreme but you'll be working with your low back in certain positions and that will also ensure that you get the the movement that's required to keep a good to keep the mobility going yeah no absolutely i think i i agree on that point and I, and i mean the, there's other elements of of exercise as well uh, that are beneficial just as a side note you know we we generally find that people on average sleep better as a result of doing exercise and, and this is something that can be affected pain can be a symptom during the night of of as so if if exercise can lead to better quality of sleep then that's another benefit um of of, of doing exercise and considering an exercise program as is kind of lung capacity 
because the joints that are affected in the spine can also affect your the, the movement in in the ribs and therefore your your lung capacity can be affected so exercise as well is going to is going to work those lungs which is going to lead to mobility within those uh, ribs and those joints so again another benefit in terms of the exercise-based approach but I certainly think like you say Jacob there's nothing stopping people with this condition uh, building strength building core that's going to support the back generally but support them from a health point of view overall uh, and there's going to be nothing that we recommend in terms of exercises really in terms of the choice of exercises that are going to be any different to anybody else suffering from low back pain we're going to want to look at that neutral spine we're going to want to look at the the ab, uh, abdominals the core to to really look at that overall health and and wellness of the spine in general which is going to be beneficial in managing this condition as well as anybody else's back pain over the long term so definitely exercise is something that should be a consideration and as always you know the exercise choices that that we recommend and uh, alluded to in the intro in the ebook you know take advantage of those and and head on over to youtube and have a look because there's nothing stopping you doing the same thing as as anyone else when it comes to exercise focused on back pain i think that's fair to say jacob yeah i, I totally agree there um i think the danger is not moving enough you know sitting in front of a computer having a, an office job and that's typically where someone who doesn't have as also become stiff in their low back and lose range of motion and develop osteophytes or, or calcification of ligaments and, and tendons in the low back, not having the disease process of AS. So I think just moving, doing weight training, uh, ensuring that your core stays strong, you're already going to have a lot of benefit from doing that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So I think that is clear. You know, exercise is important. Exercise is beneficial. So make sure that if you are experiencing these symptoms, if there has been a consideration or suggestion of, of AS, particularly if you're in the early stages, then just make sure that you, you do keep moving. You do consider those exercises that can be beneficial for building core strength and support in your low back, you know, and, and that's a lifestyle choice and a long-term decision that you should be making anyway. But certainly if there's a suspicion of this condition, then that's going to help conservatively manage this problem so that, you know, if it does come to the point where you are diagnosed with this further down the line, you'd be managing it um, and proactively considering it uh, as early as possible. Uh, and I think the same goes with, uh, with diet. Yes. Yes. Let's get on to the diet topic. So, I read a little bit to see what are the recommended supplements for somebody who's got AS. And there's not a lot on it. Um, it's, it's very conservative and not a lot of research actually showing that something specifically helps uh, ankylosing spondylitis. But what they realized from studying small groups of, of patients uh, compared to control groups is that there's always almost always a lowered vitamin D level in ankylosing spondylitis patients. And so that's, you know, for numerous reasons, not only for keeping your bones strong, but it's very important that you make sure as somebody who's got AS that your vitamin D levels are good. You know, not, not only for those people, but for everybody, it's actually very important as we know. But, um, mm -hmm. And that's that's an interesting thing because 
vitamin D also helps with the inflammatory response. So my assumption is that it's going to affect the disease process in that way. And it regulates the inflammatory response. So it needs to be on par. And um, then another thing. Yeah, and I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, you broke up there a little bit, Ben. Um, and uh, another oh, thing is vitamin K, vitamin K2. And uh, I couldn't find anything on vitamin K2 for AS. I could only find something on K2 for rheumatoid arthritis. And it, there was, it was a very positive study for supplementing with K2. Specifically, uh, menaquinone 7, as you have menaquinone 4 as well, which are also called vitamin K2. But it reduced all the inflammatory markers in people with rheumatoid arthritis. So I hope that in the future there'll be more studies on especially vitamin K2, maybe in combination with vitamin D, and another supplement that I found uh, they show could have benefit is omega-3, so uh, EPA and DHA uh, fish oil. Yeah, and I, it, it, it is a, such an interesting um, subject because I suspect that, you know, increasingly as there's a more of a focus on these uh, nutritional, proactive, preventative, dietary, you know, approaches to, to management of these conditions that, you know, across the board, we're just going to see uh, an increasing I would like to think um, prescription of of these uh, supplements to support these conditions, because, like you say, a lot of a, a lot of information previously was was anecdotal, and then there started to be a bit more science and structure and focus on it. And now we are seeing, you know, some some strong evidence to support uh, the the use of these supplements, or certainly, you know, the the patterns of of these individuals suffering a um, low levels of these kind of vitamin D and, and others. So I, I suspect that we will just see an increasing focus on, uh, on diet as an approach to manage these conditions. And another element is um, with regards to, to food intake, there is uh, some, some evidence and it still is limited. It's fair to say, but that there's a bacteria that can be an initiator, a potential triggering factor involved in the development of AS specifically. And that's a bacteria called Klebsiella pneumoniae. And that actually is, is in most of our guts. It's, it's there, it's present, and it's, it's not causing any problems when it's in the gut. But outside of the gut, it can cause us issues and problems. And like with the vitamin D, like with the supplements and the things you mentioned, Jacob, the there's increasing focus on this kind of leaky gut syndrome and this issue that a lot of people are experiencing with their gut health that is potentially a causative factor in chronic inflammatory conditions. So is there a risk, for example, that people are suffering from this leaky gut and that bacteria specifically is leaking out and is the cause and triggering factor in AS? Potentially. And I think the, the message here is, well, if it's going to take 8.5 years for a definitive diagnosis and there's some potential evidence that 
reduction of things like starch, um, which which has been associated with uh, increasing Klebsiella pneumoniae. If you can look at those things and dietary choices that could proactively help with this, then why would you not do that? And I think that's the take home here. Yes, the evidence is limited. And I, I did a literature review and found maybe just one recent study. It was a systematic review looking at all these different papers around diet choices and AS. And they couldn't find any definitive result, results that, that it does influence or there is a link. But they acknowledge, the researchers acknowledge that there, you know, there's scarce literature on the topic. There's very limited data to make informed decisions on diet and AS specifically. But we know from some of these other studies regarding things like the, the Klebsiella pneumoniae that there's a potential initiating factor trigger. And therefore, why would you not proactively look at that? Because back to the story that you shared, Jacob, with your patient, and certainly when you look online at other patients and other stories, there is some significant successes as a result of changing diet in the management of AS specifically, as well as other chronic inflammatory conditions. Yeah, totally agree with you, Ben. I think that's something that needs to be explored a lot more. And I think it's so individual with diet that we, we've, you know, when we look at general health, some people do better on a slightly different diet to somebody else. So it's something you need to, some, in some cases with the help of a specialist, uh, someone who knows more about diet, get it right for yourself. So you can do some blood work and make sure that your, your, you know, your, your inflammatory markers are down. You, you don't have any existing low-grade inflammation. Uh, hormonally, you're functioning well and, uh, and your energy's up. You know, if you can make sure that your inflammatory response is working properly and, and all these other things are good, then you are just uh, decreasing the chances of developing a problem and if it's present you know you're just limiting the chance of it progressing at a, at a fast rate yeah no i totally agree and i think you know that's quite potentially quite overwhelming for for anybody listening that that may be suffering symptoms and concerned that you know what they've read online they may have this this condition specifically as in in this case um, but i think there increasingly are things you can be looking at to to conservatively manage this condition and diet is one of them and you know go go away and have a look at this you know because like we say starch is something that you could look to eliminate and see what the response is of that omega-3 oils a good um a choice of uh, of omega-3 is important but look at the omega-3 look at the vitamin d levels now increasingly you can get um very simple tester kits to to establish your levels of um of these things within your diet so within the, the the bloodstream so you know it's it's worth exploring these as options as well as you know following the the advice of any medical doctor but as always keep moving keep exercising because there's going to be not just physical benefits for this condition specifically but there's going to be psychological benefits as well as always from partaking in an exercise program so hopefully that clears things up a little bit regarding the question of AS we got from the listener. And if you're only suffering from some stiffness early in the morning and not suffering it from later on in the day, then don't be overly concerned. But as always, seek the advice you need 
to get the help and the reassurance you need regarding your back health. And as always, send us over any questions you have. Happy to answer them. Happy to jump on the, the phone if needs be to support you on your journey to back recovery. So thanks as always, Jacob. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you again on the next show.